Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello and good morning to you. Are you ready? Man, my beard's a little wild and woolly today. We are ready to go, ready to jump in with both feet uh, for this Tuesday edition of the big radio broadcast. And uh, we're ready to we're ready to get things done. Nice and uh, nice and warm out there. Well, I mean, comparatively, uh, 14 degrees uh, here in the south central area. Uh, with some snow and everything else, the winter's still just stubbornly sticking in here uh, as we're as we're you know as we're ready to wind things down towards this. I'm ready for summer. I'm already ready for summer. I've already got plans. I'm already you know we're doing the music festival down in Homer. I already got that date set. We've got all kinds of stuff. It's gonna be a fun gonna be a fun uh, uh, um, uh, summer and I'm already looking forward to it. I'm just trying to do it. Um, so, uh, today is Tuesday, the deep dive. We've got, uh, things to talk about. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for sustainable budgets is, uh, doing his thing here. He's going to be joining us. He's in the green room right now. There was something I needed to tell you. And because I didn't write it down, I've totally forgotten what it was, but it was important. That was the important part. So just make sure that there was something that I was important that I was going to tell you. And uh, I don't recall what it was because I'm old. That's what it is. I'm old. Uh, Tuesdays, of course, is when we dive down into issues related to uh, the legislature and politics and so much more. And uh, today's topics include saying the quiet part out loud. We're going to talk a little bit about the gas. We're going to talk a little bit about <clears throat> the overall look at, uh, <clears throat> at uh, excuse me, HJR uh, 7 and uh, and some other things as well uh, with Brad Keithley. So without further ado, uh, let's um, let's just uh, let's just get started, shall we, and see what's going on. Good morning, my friend. How are uh, how are you doing this morning, Michael? I'm doing. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm doing great today. You sound a lot better today than yesterday. You're in recovery. Boy, yesterday I don't know what it was, but uh, well, per- part of it was that I basically didn't sleep almost at all the night before. It's just one of those things where you're trying to transition out of the weekend and. I was laying in bed for hours. I could not sleep. And uh, so I felt like uh, hammered dog poo yesterday morning. But this morning, I feel much better. So we're, we're good to go. I got a bunch of work done, and, and I actually caught a nap at one point yesterday. So that helped a little bit. Um, but uh, here we go, uh, the weekly top three. And, uh, man, uh, it's, so it's just things happening in the government <clears throat> right now, including – the passage of this uh, education bill and everything else. I mean, I, 
the, the legislature never fails to disappoint at this point to make themselves entertaining. That's that's what I'm that's where I'm at. But I suppose we should get started because uh, we got to get cracking here. And so we're going to start off with uh, your weekly top three, Brad. First and foremost, they are now saying the quiet part out loud. What exactly do what exactly does that mean? So I got into a <clears throat> Twitter exchange with Scott Kendall. Woo, Scooter. Uh, Woo, Scooter Kendall. <laughs> Uh, Governor Walker's former former Governor Walker's chief of staff, last chief, second chief of staff, um, about HJR uh, seven, about uh, Ben's uh, constitutional amendment to constitutionalize the PFD, not at a certain amount, but at what the legislature determines from time to time uh, by statute. And um, he started out with a uh, very strong uh, uh, comment that uh, the legislature shouldn't pass HJR seven. Uh, that it would uh, uh, do bad things. And then I, my response was, that's false. Um, all HJR 7 does is take away the legislature's ability to use the worst possible funding mechanism, the funding PFD cuts, the funding mechanism that has the, uh, has the largest adverse impact on the overall Alaska economy and on 80% of Alaska families. And all that's all it did. It didn't set a PFD. It just took away the legislature's authority uh, ability to use the worst and then scott came back with a with a response that i think uh, is just sort of classic it says in a perfect world i'd agree with you but they need to fix the formula raise new revenue first constitutionalizing the current formula guarantees a permanent one billion dollar deficit do you think that would lead to the passage of more equitable revenue or more cuts to things like k through 12. And here's why I think that's, that's, that's an admission against interests, as lawyers would say, or it's saying the quiet part out loud, uh, as I put it in my column last week in the Alaska Landmine. What Scott's saying is, we can't fund the things we're funding if you take away, the P if you take away our ability to divert the PFD, uh, because, because we don't think we can raise the same amount of revenue through other means, through taxes, more equitable taxes. We don't think we can raise the same amount of revenue, nearly the same amount of revenue, using other methods than we can uh, using PFD cuts. Essentially so saying, you, essentially saying, we couldn't squeeze the people for this much money without a revolution. And so, there you go. Yeah, exactly right. That's that's the thing that you and I have been talking about for a long time, which is which is what the PFD does is is in a very non transparent way allow the government to take money from Alaska families and to use it uh, for government spending. If they had to do it through a more transparent way, a way that that said this is a tax rate as opposed to just, you know, we're just shuffling money around. This is, this is what we're taking from Alaska families in a transparent way. And if they had to do it in a way that was broad-based, which would raise money not only from middle and lower income Alaska families, Alaska families, which is what the PFD cuts, PFD cuts do, but also from non-residents, also from the top 20%, and likely also from the oil companies. If they had to do it in a way that hit those groups, then they wouldn't be able to say the, raise the same amount of revenue. And what they're essentially admitting is, look, <laughs> We've got an advantage with PFD cuts because it's money that's already that we've already got control over, just like your 
uh, financial advisor has control over your investments and and the money sometimes comes to him before and he sends it on to you just like just like that the the the, the legislature's got control over pfds and and to give that away and to and to have to resort in to more transparent more broad-based approaches they don't think they could raise the same amount of revenue so what's so what he admitted is what's really going on here is the gov is those in favor of government spending without regard to the impact on Alaska families those in favor of government spending want to continue to use PFD cuts because they can spend more than they than they think they could if they had to do it in a more transparent uh, more broad-based way those those who say okay go ahead and take our PFDs are essentially saying go ahead and build government build government up to the amount of the full PFD which is billions of dollars go ahead and build and build government up that amount we don't care go ahead and take our PFD when when if we did it in a more transparent more broad-based way uh, we would have less government we would control government spending because they admit uh, they admit that they don't think they could raise the same amount of revenue. It, it's a, it's something that I've long speculated uh, was going on here, long thought was going on here. Uh, but Scott Kendall just, you know, let it out of the bag, let the cat right. out of the bag, said, right. said the quiet part out loud. Yeah, no, I mean, Ben and I were talking, Ben Carpenter and I were talking about this yesterday, and he was talking specifically about, you know, this idea in economics where you have that felt uh, you know, you have the the difference between the money that's essentially intercepted on its way to you. And this is the Milton Friedman, you know, payroll tax thing where if you know the money's coming to you, but you don't get it all, it's one thing. But if you get all the money and then you have to pay the tax on it, it's a whole different critter, right? I mean, mentally and intellectually, you feel it a lot more because you got the $100 and now you got to pay $30 back versus you just got $70 to begin with. You saw, you know, it's a, it's an, it's a, it's a mental thing uh, more than anything else. And that's kind of what we're facing right now where for people have been like, well, I was going to get $4,000, but now I'm only going to get a thousand. Oh, I mean, it sucks, but at least it's a thousand that I didn't have before kind of thing. Whereas if they'd gotten the 4,000 and then got issued a $3,000 tax bill, I, I've often said that in the state that if they taxed, if they gave all the people in the state, the revenue, all the, all the revenue that they deserved, like they, they just split up all the monies that the state got paid it to all the people. And then you issued them a tax bill. There would be a revolution tomorrow. You know what I mean? Because if you got if you got a check for eighteen thousand dollars, and then they came back and said, "Oh, by the way, we need a check back from you for sixteen thousand dollars," I mean, there would be a revolution in this state. Yep, exactly right, Michael. And, and that's but but it's it's effectively what's going on. I mean, effectively, Alaskans are due to to use your numbers are 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 due the four thousand dollars, or for a family of four, the sixteen thousand dollars. But the legislature is taking away, you know. $3,000 of that per Alaskan or $15,000 per family before it gets to you. It's a withholding. I mean, think about it as a withholding tax right. uh, that's uh, that, that's going on, a withholding and diversion, just like withholding is for uh, uh, for uh, out of your out of your wages or out of your out of your other income. Um, it's a withholding tax, but it's not transparent in a way that that causes you're right, causes that same reaction. What what Scott Kendall admitted 
is that if they if we had that transparent transaction, if we had the 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 the, the transparency of that four thousand dollars in your pocket, and then the government taking three thousand dollars away, they wouldn't be able to raise the three thousand dollars. Right. They would be able to raise much less. So you know what what this what this means is for those who want to who, for those who really you know think about it what hjr7 is is a spending is a spending constraint it is it is the creation of transparency for for what the pfd would be and then the creation of transparency for what government is trying to take away uh, when they when they have to do it. it it's 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 that it's other things too it's lessening the burden on alaska families because the other ways the government would have to take that money away is through a broad-based approach that would reduce the impact on middle and lower income Alaska families. It's a lot of things. It's a lot of positive things. So when you listen to the HJR debate, and I and and I think that got delayed it according, to the, yeah, it according got, to the records, it got delayed till tomorrow yep. or maybe further given what the governor did yesterday on the education bill. Yeah. Um, uh, when you listen to the HJR 7 debate on the floor, listen, or when you read the articles about it, when people like Andy Josephson said, well, we just can't do, uh, we just can't, you know, uh, uh, give away the PFD. We just can't constitutionalize the PFD. We need to be able to snatch that money first. Listen to that, not only in the context of they need to be able to snatch money, but what they're arguing for is the ability to snatch more money away from Alaska families than they would be able to do under more transparent under more transparent methods. That's the that's the giveaway. That's the silent part that Scott Kendall gave away with uh, with his tweet. And I think it's important. I think it's a I, I think I think it's a whole new level of understanding about what's going on in the minds of those who want to cut the PFD. They want they want higher government spending. Right. They view PFD cuts as a way of funding that higher a, a non transparent way of funding that higher government spending. And they're concerned if they can't do it that way, if they have to raise the money other ways, they're not going to be able to raise that same level of government of government revenue. Right. Which is one of the again, it's one of the protections that HGR seven offers. And it's why you should call your legislators and encourage them to vote for it when it comes up here shortly. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. That's number one. We're moving on over to number two. We're going to continue in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for sustainable budgets. I read that whole I read that whole interchange between you and Kendall, and uh I mean these big government people, man, that's just um, the the whole their whole way of life is wrapped up in what's going on in government and how can we protect that above all else. It's just it's astonishing to watch, quite honestly. It really is astonishing to watch this kind of uh, the mental some of the mental gymnastics they have to go through to try and justify this kind of stuff. 
there there was a later down in the exchange there was another exchange with somebody else i forget who who was essentially arguing oh but it's good for taking the pfd is good for middle and lower income alaska families because we're spending it on things uh that benefit them so if somebody's trying to tell you that it's good for you they're, that they're charging you double to do something that's good for you they could charge you half uh, to do what they're doing for you, which is which is essentially the relationship between raising government revenue through government government revenue through PFD cuts versus other broad based approaches. When they're trying to tell you they're doing something good for you, but taking double your money to do it for you, that just doesn't that that doesn't sound right. I'm really trying to help you out here. Just give me give me double the amount of money that you would have to pay somebody else. Give me you yeah. know that money and I'll help and I'll help you out. I'll sprinkle some fairy dust That's, back on you. It's like it's like mugging you for your own good. I'm just gonna just take all your money. I'll give it back later. Only part of it, but it'll take care of you. So just give me all your money. Mugging for it's it's mugging for a cause. That's what it is. And I, and I'll give it back to you in ways that let me employ a lot of union employees and 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 let me, you know, decide who gets the money back. Um, uh, through these through these additional government employees, um, and it'll be the people that you know that I want to favor that that will vote for me. And it's just, I mean, it's just that that part also was a little was 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 a little eye opening that people would actually say that out loud. Uh, but uh, but but you know that that whole string was just one one odd argument after another. Yeah, no, definitely educational uh, to see that for sure. Um, <clears throat> uh, Brad, are you, you're, uh, are you uh, still traveling? You back? You ready to, uh, are you done with your, with your winter music tour or what's going on? <laughs> well, my mother has recovered from her latest fall and, uh, I'm headed back, uh, uh, over the weekend. I'm going to sort of veer through DC to go to a concert of a Scottish group. I really like, and then I'm flying from DC back to Alaska. Veer through DC. You're in the middle of the country. That's not a veer, uh, Brad. That's like a boomerang. Well, <laughs> when you, when, when you live in Alaska, everything, everything down to the 48 looks like, yeah. you know, minor movements. Right? right. Exactly. I mean, this is on our way. We're going to go from Seattle to DC and then back to Fairbanks. That'll be. Hey, I'm in Illinois. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm, I I'm in Chicago. So I that's, know. that's, I know. <laughs> It's just, it's just uh, crazy stuff. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it's been kind of, have you been watching this debate? Did you watch the debate on the education thing and then the governor's reaction to it by any chance? I did. I did. Yeah. And, and I, and that appears to have thrown the legislature into another do loop. I don't know. Well, I mean, well I mean, like, what do they expect? I mean, he's, it was very clear early on. I mean, it, it, more clear than he usually is when he said, this is what I want to see in this education bill, including the bonuses and everything else. And I mean, fair warning kind of thing is what I felt like. But this government, this governor has had round heels. I mean, he said the same thing about PFDs, right? He said the same thing about he, he sounded the same on, on other things. And then when push came to shove, he's just sort of leaned backwards and said, OK. And I think, you know, I think the legislature has gotten in the mode of, Hey, as long as as long as we can give him some cover, I mean, we put intent language in there that we want some of it used for bonuses. Right. My school, God, school. intent language. If I hear one more thing about intent language, uh, 
I'm sorry, but Brett. I, I think they anticipated he would have round heels about it. So uh, the fact he's standing up has got to be a shock. Yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to see. This could consume the entire rest of the session at this point, uh, which will – well, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to watch, to say the least. This battle is far from over, I would think, at this point. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The weekly top three continues with number two. Up next, the Michael Duke Show. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell. Let's do all the things. Let's go. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Yep. Um, intellectual. That's what I'm called in many circles. Uh, the Michael Duke Show, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the real brains behind the Tuesday weekly top three. Uh, he comes in to give us the verbal beating every week. It's a, it's, but it's gentle with love and Christian kindness. That's the kind of beating that we get from Brad. Uh, trying to lay the truth bomb on us. Uh, we're on to, uh, we're on to number two, uh, for the weekly top three, which, uh, includes a discussion about one of my favorite topics, Corporate welfare. Well, Brad, um, I mean, I have this is a state that has become so dependent on corporate welfare. I mean, it's been it's been it's been a factor in Alaskan politics for 40, 45 years. And it just keeps getting more and more blatant. I think probably the one when it really got caught my ire was back in uh, 10, 15 years ago when uh, GCI and Ron Duncan, and they spent $2 billion, or excuse me, $2 million trying to convince Alaskans that they didn't need their PFD. And I'm like, why is this company spending $2 million? And then I started following the money and realized, oh, well, it's because that's their gravy train. Their gravy train is the government spend. So uh, I'm sorry. Let, let, I'll let you take the floor here, but this is this is one of my pet peeves. Well, that was that's a great example. That was an early phase of uh, we can spend your PFD better than you can. We can spend it on Ron Duncan's GCI uh, uh, expanding broadband or expanding whatever the heck it is he wanted to expand at the time. Uh, let us just take your PFD and we'll and we'll give it to Ron and everything. Everybody will be better. We're 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 doing good for you. By taking this money from you and, and spending it for you on uh, on something that we're paying double, uh, but we're spending it on something that we think is good, and, and we and and it just keeps continuing. The latest example and the one that that caused me to put this on this week's top three is um, is the governor's proposed quote Alaska Affordability Act, and what the governor's right. proposing to do is to create a tax credit for corporations who who fund child care who fund child care for their employees or fund housing for their employees or help their uh, uh, the employees reduce their mortgage costs or all sorts of a variety of things but that's nothing more than more corporate welfare the tax the the, the what the governor's proposing to do is to reduce taxes now potentially by up you know more than 200 million dollars reduce taxes on corporations and that'll create a hole in the in the budget so what's going to fill that hole? We know the answer to this. Increased PFD cuts is going to fill that hole to, to, to go in and, 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 and pay the revenue. So essentially, what the governor is proposing is to take a bunch more PFD money than he would otherwise need to do, than the government would otherwise need to do, 
to fill a hole so the governor can sprinkle some fairy dust on on corporations uh, who are doing certain things. It's government. It's government spend through corporations. So the government. So what the governor's proposing to do is to take these PFDs to fill to backfill the the revenue hole created by the tax cuts for these corporations. So these corporations can go out and do what the government thinks is a good thing, corporate childcare and, uh, uh, and corporate uh, subsidized uh, housing and, and, and other things that the corporations think, think they can do. It is, it is a government program being administered through the corporations, government funded by additional PFD cuts to backfill uh, the reductions in corporate income taxes that the, that the corporations uh, would be paying. I mean, there's 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 a variety of things uh, that that are concerning about that. I mean, what what the governor is doing is allowing these corporations to select to get a competitive advantage in the market to select their employees for for these benefits as opposed to as opposed to all Alaska families general if, benefits if right for the general public. If it's a good thing that we ought to be doing this, then we ought to be doing it. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing, but if it's a good thing that we ought to be doing this, we ought to be doing it on a broad-based basis, not just for these corporate select employees. And if it's a good thing, we ought to be raising, and if it's a, it's going to benefit you know, Alaska generally in terms of making Alaska more affordable and more competitive and, 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 and help business out and, and bring in more employees, if it's, if it's a generally good thing, we ought to be funding it generally across the board uh, from all income classes and, and from non-residents as well, uh, as, as instead of just funding it from middle and lower income Alaska families through, uh, through PFD cuts. So it's, it's just another form uh, of corporate welfare uh, that, uh, that the government's proposed, this time from <clears throat> Governor Dunleavy himself. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the opening, you know, one of the one of the comments that the governor made on this really kind of bothered me because he said in justifying what he's talking about, he said the private sector is far more equipped to solve these challenges than the government. He says the bill's a catalyst to set in motion voluntary development by the private sector, which <clears throat> sounds a lot like the free markets can take care of it. The problem is, is that what we've got is we've got a manipulated free market where the government is controlling, uh, you know, again, instead of being broad based, it's the government controlling this. And so it's not truly a private sector. As you said, it's choosing out just a small section. And 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 again, this is my whole problem with this whole discussion on, um, you know, subsidized child care, subsidized housing for your employees. Now the now the private companies are going to get involved, which is going to create that hole in government, and they're going to ask for even more. So it just continues to manipulate and cause problems. It does. It does. I mean, if it's good for the corporations to do it, they ought to do it. And, it, and if it's a routine cause of business, a routine cost of business, they can deduct it against, against their taxes as a routine cost of business. What the governor's doing is allow is creating this special program that allows them to to get a, a tax credit out of it, which is much more important than a tax deduction, a tax credit out of it, uh, and um, and 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 have a government funded program, essentially a government funded program uh, for uh, for those for those select corporations that are that that choose to do it. Th that that sort of pales, <laughs> that sort of corporate welfare paled in comparison, though, by the end of the week, to to a second. Uh, proposal out there put by put out by Kenai Senator Jesse Bjorkman, 
that proposed to do this. It, 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 he, he put in a bill to pass a statute that would allow the state by eminent domain to acquire what are called overriding royalty interests in the Cook Inlet, specifically in the Cook Inlet. Overriding royalty interests are privately held uh, uh, royalty interests that are that have the benefit of not having to contribute to costs, don't have costs deducted from them. So they're sort of like a, a, a well, a royalty, a premium that goes to those holders. It's of a the, gross royalty gold. instead of a net royalty, essentially, right? right? Yeah, it's very good. And, and, and Bjorkman wants to set up a system where the government, by eminent domain, which means that it's not a negotiation, it's just the government saying, we're going to take this property, right? Just like coming in and taking any piece of property, government coming in and taking any piece of property, we're going to take it. The court will set how much we're going to pay you, but we're going to take it. Allows the allows the, the the state to come in by eminent domain to take these overrides, um, and then under separate statutory authority, already existing statutory statutory authority, the government once it owns a royalty interest, it can it can waive it, or it can re, it can reduce it, or it can completely waive it for the benefit of the for the benefit of the of the producer. So what Bjorkman's really doing is allowing the government to come in and take these overrides pay whatever the court uh, uh, requires for the for the value of the override, and then to waive the royalty. This is all, there's an article in the Landmine last week that, that focuses on this. This is all for the purpose, really, of giving John Hendricks uh, a way out of some of the cost burden that he's incurring with respect to his Cook Inlet fields. And there's, there's an override sitting on those Cook Inlet fields that that Hendricks claims is a is a is a burden on burden to his business that he has to pay those overrides. So what Bjorkman is doing is setting up for Hendricks the ability of the state to come in and acquire those overrides that are such a burden. Now in that step, nothing much happens because now the state becomes the owner of it. But then under separate statutory authority, the state can waive, can reduce or waive the royalty, and uh, and take that burden away from Hendricks. Hendricks still gets the profits. But it's just that the state would absorb the costs uh, uh, for Hendricks uh, from from those fields, and these are these overrides were negotiated, uh, are privately negotiated uh, arrangements that that occurred in part through the bankruptcy that uh, that, that Fury went with went through before Hex acquired before Hendricks's corporation acquired uh, the interest. They're privately negotiated, privately established. Overrides approved by the state at one point because the state has to approve overrides on on state leases. Approved by the state at one point, um, privately negotiated, it allows the 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 state to come in. Bjorkman's bill would allow the state to come in and acquire it. Talk about corporate welfare! I Means a bailout of John Hendricks, uh, 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 setting up a bailout of John Hendricks in a, in a big time way, taking away his costs uh, and allowing him to keep the profits. Which. I mean, again, I'm just I'm just shaking my head. I mean, again, creating, uh, you know, more loss for the state in the long run, I'm assuming that they wouldn't receive any of the royalties at that point because they've overridden and then written them off. Is that is that so? Yep. yep. Backfilled so, by PFD cuts. Yeah. Backfilled by again, by more PFD cuts. Uh, I mean, I just at this point, Brad, I, I don't know. What is it going to take? Is it going to take a complete and full taking of the PFD for people to go, wait, what just happened? I mean, well, what just happened was the thing that Brad and I have been warning about for 10 years, 
that they're going to take the PFD in its entirety. And then when that's done, they'll come to you and go, oh, you, you know, you Alaskans, free rides die hard. You guys really need to pay your fair share now. I mean, is it is this not what's coming in your opinion? Well, yeah, but but it's the same thing, Michael. I mean, it's it's stuff stuff's going on. Stuff is going on. This 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 corporate uh, welfare on on child care and on housing. Um uh the the John Hendricks bailout. Stuff's going on because they're able to take the PFD non-transparently, take the money through uh, uh, the PFD non-transparently, stuff that wouldn't happen if we had if we had other funding mechanisms that require that were transparent, so that you saw what was going on and broad-based. No one, I mean, if 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 somebody said you have to pay an increased tax um, uh, in order to fund John Hendricks's bailout, you have to pay an increased tax in order to give. Conoco Phillips an improved competitive position in hiring employees because they're going to be able to offer child state subsidized child care. You have to pay a tax to do that. People go, no, 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 no. Wait a second. I'm not going to pay a tax to bail out John Hendricks. I'm not going to pay a tax to to, to subsidize Conoco Phillips. But that's exactly what's going on. Only it's being done non-transparently through PFD cuts instead of transparently through through a tax. And that's what that's what Scott Kendall says. We don't want you to see it. We don't want you to see it. We don't want yeah, you to see yeah. what's going on behind the curtain because we know you wouldn't pay for it right that way. Don't, we want to keep we want to keep it behind the curtain so we can keep it hidden. Don't take the cookie jar away from us. We really need that cookie jar. You just you you pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Eminent domain. The fact that they were so blatantly, you know, it's. Oh. Man, my head is going to explode. All right, uh, Brad, uh, that's number two, the corporate welfare in the state. of It's worse than we thought. Uh, give me a tease for number three. So number three is is back to the cook inlet. I mean, energy is an issue that that has sort of gone a little bit silent this last week because of the because of the focus on K through 12 spending. But it's just waiting there to pop back up. Um, and I think I think there's I think we should be better defining the Cook Inlet issue uh, as uh, as we go along. And number three is going to be my effort to help better define the Cook Inlet issue, what we're really facing. <clears throat> all I could say is thanks to all you people on the peninsula who put Jesse Bjorkman in there uh, to help us out. Uh, it's, just, it's just painful. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Our guests, we continue in just a moment. The weekly top three... Cook Inlet Oil and Gas up next, The Michael Duke Show. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. I'm starting to wonder if um, I'm starting to wonder if people are just so exhausted by this whole thing that they're just I mean, that they're just not even paying attention and throwing their hands up. I mean, the PFD argument seems to have gone super quiet. We've got HDR seven. Thank goodness that that at least is up there. But it just seems like people are just like, whatever, just whatever. It, 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 it feels that way in a lot of uh, in a lot of discussions that I've had over the last uh, couple months. 
that most people are just like, okay, whatever. I just want to move, you know, uh, I don't know if it's exhaustion or what, but this is a, this is a hot mess for sure, Brad. Well, without a, without a baseline, without something like HJR seven, that sets a baseline, uh, on, on how much of the PFD you can take, uh, sets it by statute on how much of the, of the PFD government can, can withhold and divert to government spending without a baseline like that. It's a debate that goes on every year, right? It's a debate that, that, you know, uh, is just, is just a, a perennial, uh, dogfight about, about what we're going to deal with it. We need to be able to draw a line under it and move on. But, but as Scott Kendall, you know, indicates in the, in the, in the Twitter exchange, they don't want to draw a line under it because no, they no. know yeah. They know they can just can continue as long as it's not not defined. They can just continue grabbing it. Just continue yeah. to grow government by grabbing it. So no. it's in their interest not to define. It's in their interest not to not to end this debate. Just to keep it as an endless debate. Eight years of it being a political football. Essentially, it's as I said before. Every time it it sucks up all the oxygen in the room. So it's all like, look at this. Here's the PFD. Look at this. Fight about this. And we're not paying attention to everything else. Meanwhile. People are getting exhausted fighting about the same thing over and over and over again. Fatigue is a real thing. You're right, Brian. I mean, the fatigue is a real thing. And, and what happens is you get you get more and more people sucked into, you know, things like Dunleavy's Alaska Affordability Act. Let's give a let's give bailouts to corporations to who you know want to retain employees, want to make themselves more competitive. Let's let's give them a, a subsidy. Uh, to do that, or you get, you know, Bjorkman's bill for, you know, to bail out John Hendricks. I mean, people go, I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican, I'm against government spending, but spend on this, spend on, spend on my favorite thing, spend on, spend on right. corporate welfare, right. spend on, spend on John Hendricks. But <laughs> I'm really a conservative. I'm hey. really a, you know, rock rib Republican. Yeah, no, hey, it's, it's like you and I, I mean, we started asking this question 10 years ago. 2014, you and I started asking this question of legislators. Would you be willing to follow the ICER proposal, the numbers of $4.1 billion? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We're all about the cutting it and keeping it back. But don't cut in my district. Don't cut in my district, right? I mean, we saw the Republicans in the, the in the valley and everything else. Oh, yes, we're all for. Oh, but don't don't cut the ag department. Don't cut this. Don't cut that. I mean, it's it's either got to be good for the goose or it's not. I mean, it's got to be, you know, it it's uh, and that's the problem is that not everybody is willing to pony up and and take the take the pain. It's it, the cuts are good. The reductions are good as long as it's not me being reduced. Yep, exactly right. And it, and it's and as long as we keep this issue open, as long as we don't have HJR seven or something like it, drawing a line underneath it and saying move on, let's start fighting about the spending, as opposed to fighting about as you said this squirrel over here, the PFD. As as, as long as we don't have that, we're just gonna you know people are just gonna keep picking at it like Dunleavy with the corporate afford or the Alaska Affordability Act, sorry, the Corporate Affordability Act, with the Alaska Affordability Act, or we're going to have Bjorkman with John Hendricks's bailout. We're, we're going to have people who are going to say, oh, you know, everybody else is doing it. And and I want my guys to have some benefit from it too. So let's just pass this and and p cut the PFD a little bit more and 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 direct it this way. Sprinkle the fairy dust over over in this direction. Yeah. No. Think, things they wouldn't be and Scott Kendall just said the quiet part out loud. Things they wouldn't be able to do. Things that we wouldn't spend money on 
if it wasn't for the fact that we that they were using PFD cuts to do it. If they had to do it in a more transparent, more broad-based way, they wouldn't be doing it. But because we've got this PFD, you know, kitty out there, they just keep drawing from it a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Everybody. I we got to get ours before the getting's good, right? While the getting's good. we got to get – somebody's going to spend that money. Might as well be us is kind of the reaction that we hear a lot of times. Uh, it's, it's just – it's so it's so frustrating, Brad, especially since, again, everything that we predicted that we've talked about since 2013, uh, 2014, has all come to pass, and it just continues to get worse. And – I I just I just don't even know what to say at this point. Uh, other don't than, go weary, Michael. Yeah, I mean don't don't go weary. Yeah, because, yeah, you can't grow weary well people, doing, but people will just keep taking more and more money from it until, as you say, it's all gone. I, yeah, w- w- you, the effort to draw to draw the line is is an important one and one we've got to stay at. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The weekly top three continues with number three, cook inlet gas. That's the whole thing. We are ready to go. Jump back into it. Please like and share, like and subscribe, ring the bell, do all the YouTube things. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. The Michael Duke Show, proudly splitting the left versus right uh, dichotomy. Yeah, I had to look that word up, too. I don't think it means what he thinks it means. There he is, though. That guy, Michael Dukes, the one with the show. It means exactly what I said it means. I'm trying to bust that dichotomy, but it's just oof. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Our guests, the final segment of the weekly top three. That hour goes so fast. Uh, We're on to... The real things with the Cook Inlet oil and gas um, with uh, John Hendrickson and all the things that are happening. Like you said, it got a little bit of a back burner last week because of the uh, discussions on the education spend. So where are we at and what are your thoughts on it for this week? Michael, I, I think I think we need to focus on better. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of proposals being out there being made out there with the cook inlet. There's a lot of commentary on the cook inlet. Yesterday, there was a presentation by the Alaska Gas Line Development Corporation that said, hey, we got a solution. We'll just build, we'll pre-build this line down from the slope uh, down to uh, Cook Inlet and we'll supply North Slope gas uh, down to the Cook Inlet. Don't look behind the curtain on how much it costs, <laughs> but but we'll pre-build this line down and 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 we'll ha- we'll solve the problem. So you know, everybody's coming out, coming out of the woodwork with a solution on how to on how to solve the problem. I'm not sure we've defined the problem well, though. I mean, people seem to think the problem is just physically showing up with gas. Uh, any proposal that physically shows up with gas from an Alaska source is a good is a good solution, and we ought to be we ought to be doing that. That's not what the economics tell you. The ep- economics tell you that that physical the physical supply of gas isn't really a problem after a certain point of time. And I'll come back to that. The physical supply of gas isn't a problem after a certain point of time that we can bring LNG in plenty of LNG liquefied natural gas on the market, on the global market, we can bring it in and supply it. So the physical supply isn't the problem. The problem is the economics. And and, and here's how I think we ought to be thinking about this issue. LNG is the, is the, is the ultimate showstopper. It's the one that can supply the 
whatever amount of gas we need and, and resolve the, the physical supply issue. Cost of LNG, according to a study done last year uh, uh, by economic consultants uh, presented to the RCA, uh, is about $12. John Sims, president of NSTAR, said in his latest uh, uh, legislative testimony, it's $12 to $15. I think what he's trying to do is blow it up a little bit to make some room for, for some other solutions. But, but let's say it's $12 to $15. What we ought to be looking at are is, are there solutions that are economically lower cost than that? If there are, we ought to pursue them. If they aren't economically lower cost than that, even if they're from Alaska sources, then, then we ought to exclude them because the focus of this ought to be, let's get the lowest cost of supply into Alaska. Here's one of the things that wasn't discussed at the, at the, at the big Cook Inlet uh, uh, legislative hearing a few weeks ago. There's a chart in the, in, the, in the study that the economists did that was presented to the RCA that wasn't in the slide deck presented to the legislature. And that chart looks at the marginal cost of supply from Cook Inlet sources. It doesn't, doesn't include the North Slope. Right. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it, it looks at the marginal cost of supply of additional supplies from the Cook Inlet uh, sources. And it says that going out and, and incentivizing or, or trying to bring on additional supplies from the Cook Inlet market the, there, it comes in two tranches. First tranche is uh, uh, one, sort of a near-term incremental uh, in, increase in supply. The second one is sort of a longer-term increase in supply. And it said, the study said, the incremental cost of supply from that from the from the near-term Cook Inlet sources is nine to nineteen dollars in MCF. And the incremental cost of supply from longer-term sources, Cook Inlet sources, is fifteen to twenty-six dollars in MCF. So, the the first one outstrips the 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 median price, the the average price in the first tranche outstrips the average price for for uh, uh, for LNG. The the even the low end of the price for the second tranche. Uh, outstrips the medium, the average price for LNG. So there are, there may be additional Cook Inlet supplies, but they are at a price that are beyond, that's beyond the cost of LNG. What, what we need to do, and what this study did, what the study did for the for the RCA, that the legislature only got a part of from the economists, what the study did was say, here's here's the various layers of supply options, and LNG. When you look at the layering of supply options, LNG is the lowest cost of supply to get the additional supplies that you that you say you need in order to supply Alaska long term. That should be the baseline. And LNG can start um, as at what Sim said was LNG starts in 2030. The latest estimate is starting in 2030. Now we may have a supply dip before 2030. And before we can get LNG in, and and we may and we should be talking about how we fill that supply dip economically before before 2030. And there's various options to do that. There's there's short-term LNG options. There's maybe we need to, to to provide an incentive for some supplemental supplies from the Cook Inlet. But but once you get to 2030, LNG looks like it's the lowest cost option. 
what we need to do is define the issue in the uh, in in the Cook Inlet as opposed to you know all of these various oh I can bring it it may cost twenty dollars but I can bring supply down from the North Slope. We need to we need to set an economic analysis of what the various supply options are. Look at when that supply option kicks in. If it's LNG, look at when that supply option kicks in. And if there is a deficiency, if there's a, a problem on supply before then, look again at the various short-term options on how to fill that before we fill in. The last thing we need to do, frankly, is to do something like the like bringing gas down from the North Slope, which is a permanent solution, but a permanent solution that costs way the heck more than LNG. Right. I and mean, so, the last price so, that I heard for the gas line was something like $47 billion. So, I mean... Come on. I mean, it, that's not economical. I mean, yes, we have 17 trillion cubic feet of gas on our slope. Great. I agree. It's a huge supply. We should do something with it when it's economic. But 45 or $46 billion for a pipeline to get it to Tidewater, that number doesn't pencil out on the per MCF cost. Well, in yesterday's presentation, they they stripped it down and they, and they got it down to about $11 billion. They stripped that. They stripped out the, the the kit on the North Slope that is needed to deal with the Prudhoe Prudhoe Bay gas CO2 problem. It's rich in CO2. Can't bring that down the pipe, so they had to build a plant up there. They stripped that plant out, which means in essence they're going to bring the gas from Point Thompson. And they stripped out the liquid the cost of the liquefaction plant down in Kenai, um, and they stripped out all the compressors. I don't know. I'm not sure how you're going to move this gas without compressors, but but they stripped out all the compressors. So basically they stripped it down to just the pipe, the cost of the pipe coming from the North Slope down to the down to the Cook Inlet. And that's a, and, and they said yesterday in yesterday's presentation, that's eleven billion dollars. Still, when you do the cost of service on eleven billion dollars, that's in excess of the of the 12 to 15 uh, from LNG. So it's we need to start looking at the economics and we need to look seriously when people say, oh, all we need to do is incentivize additional Cook Inlet production. We need to look at this chart that the legislature didn't look at, that wasn't in the legislative presentations. We need to look at this chart that talks about what the cost is of these, of these additional supplies. And it's not just, oh, you know, John Hendricks saying, oh, I'll sell you gas for $9 if I don't have to pay my overrides. You know, if the state will just, you know, uh, uh, eminent domain the overrides and, and waive them, I, I can send it to you for $9. That's not the true cost. The true cost is the $9 plus the cost to the state of, of, of doing eminent domain on the overrides and then and then waiving those overrides, the subsidy that's created by doing that. That's there's an additional cost there to the state that needs to be added on. We need to come, we need to, we need to focus on the economics as, as we go forward. It's good to have a hearing that had, you know, 50,000 different solutions out there. It's good to have bills, I suppose, that have 50,000 different solutions. But now, now that we're you know, dealing with the problem, we need to define the problem as an economics problem, not a physical supply problem, because we've got the physical supply problem solved as an economics problem. And then we need to look at the lowest cost supply for the various time periods uh, uh, to, 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 meet the, to meet the demand. Is this fixable, Brad? Less, we got just over 60 seconds. Is this fixable for real if they got serious about it? Yes. Yes. Physical supplies available in the world. Yes. 
Just we just have to import it. We have to quit looking at Alaska gas and just look at the import in the long term, in the short term, and in the long term. Right. We need to look at the most economic supply, and 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 what the charts are telling you is the most economic supply over the long term is LNG. That's why I'm not I'm not saying LNG first. What I'm saying is the most economic supply, and once you impose that that criteria, then LNG follows from that. If Alaska were a lower cost supply, great. But it's the total Alaska cost. It's the cost of the utility plus the cost of the subsidy that the state's proposing to throw on top of that. We need to look at the most economic supply overall, period, and then and then go with that, get on with that. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the weekly top three. Uh, Brad, where can people find that chart? Uh, it's in uh, my column uh, the week before last, my Friday column on the Alaska landmine the week before last. I think the title of that column is, is Alaska on its way to mimicking Venezuela. Okay. And uh, and the charts in that column. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you so much, folks. we got more coming up. Chris Story in hour two, plus maybe your phone calls and more. It's up next. Tom McKay in the chat room says, send us the chart, Brad. Why didn't they get that chart during the presentations? I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious. Tom, yeah. Tom go, go to the Alaska landmine, go to the, go to the uh, chart of the week. It's a heading up there. Click on it and go to the chart, go to the column for February 16th. Um, <clears throat> and then, and then he doesn't want to hear this again. But call the economists. <laughs> have have the economists testify before the before the committee. Right. Well, I mean, to me, I would love to see Alaskan gas in Alaskan households, uh, you know, being used. I would love that. But it has to make economic sense. And unfortunately, although I've been a huge proponent of a gas line for Alaska, it's got to make economic sense. It just can't, you know. And maybe we could have built it years ago. Uh, at the time and been able to do it. But now there's gas fines all over the world and LNG is just, it's its just cheaper to bring it in at this point than it is to do anything else. Actually, LNG, I, I, I do a chart every Monday uh, uh, for the chart, for the Alaska, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, chart of the chart of the day. We do charts of the day uh, early in the morning. And we do, and then the Monday's chart is on uh, global gas. It's on the cost of global gas looking at the futures markets, the cost of global gas versus the cost of of, of NSTAR, because I just want to see what the relationship is. Actually, Asian gas delivered to Asian LNG markets is now cheaper than than Alaska gas, than NSTAR gas. Now that's sort of a, you know, we're, we're off peak. We're not, we're not during the, the the coldest winter months and and there's a lot of explanations for that. But it's not, it's not necessarily the case. That global LNG is is automatically the most expensive is, is automatically the most expensive option. I mean, people try to dismiss it that way. Oh God, we wouldn't uh, LNG just that's just so expensive. It's not. I mean, we've got a huge amount of LNG. A lot of it that was developed, a lot of that that was that's being developed for Europe as a result of the of, of the Russian uh, situation. But we've just got a lot of LNG that's going on in the world right now. A lot of LNG export capacity that's going on in the world right now. It's not a solution that Alaska. You know, you're right. It'd be great to have Alaska gas and Alaska homes, but not if it, not if it ends up costing Alaskans more. 
than, than right. other uh, than well, other options. And and part of the problem, and this is discussed, we just I think I don't know if it was with you, but I've just we I discussed this years ago. Was the problem is even if we decide to build a plant, and let's just say it's bare bones and it's fifteen billion dollars to build a, a line, compress, you know, do everything else, do all that kind of stuff. The problem is is that once we lock it in, even if it's at a higher rate, and we're saying, oh, we'll be willing to pay that higher rate in the short term. To make sure we're using our gas supplies and it, but we've locked ourselves into that for twenty or thirty years, and if something else changes out there, and all of a sudden world LNG supplies goes down to, you know, two or three bucks per MCF, and we're paying twelve or fifteen, all of a sudden we're like, well, wait a second, we've locked ourselves into this forever, and uh, it, it's, I mean, it becomes completely unsustainable in the long run. It does, and the only way, the only way you possibly could ever think about making the big line, a, a line from the North Slope down to the Cook Inlet, down to down to South Central economic is if it takes the entire South Central market. So so what you're essentially doing is saying we're not going to have any other options. We have now locked in on this option. If somebody finds additional Cook Inlet supplies, too bad. We've locked in We to make the economics work. We had to lock in on the on the North Slope supply as opposed to LNG, as opposed to LNG imports which are scalable. I mean, you can have zero LNG. You have to build the kit. You have to pay for the kit, the import kit, but you can have zero. If, if somebody had a big cook inlet find, you can back out all the LNG and just say, we're not going to order any, any tankers uh, and, and supply it from cook inlet again. So LNG gives you a flexibility that, that some of these, that some of these other options don't. I mean, they, they lock you in on, on long-term, a long-term, a long-term contract that, you're not you're not walking away from right and you've made and, and that has the potential then to make south central much economic you're exactly right uneconomic for the long term as opposed to you know just getting over this hump uh and uh and and dealing with it from there i mean what's the what do you think the possibilities are in the future of eventually alaskan gas not being stranded not being up you know not being up there do they do they put a plant on the North Slope and do and do LNG exports from there? Do they do they put a gas line in? I mean, you know what what are your thoughts on it? Here we got about two minutes. We've got a race going on, and the race is I mean, it, it's a big supply. Um, it, it it would it would it would fit in the market, but there's a lot of other supplies being developed. Alaska LNG potentially could become ultimately economic, become ultimately enter the market. But the race is, is are we going to phase out gas uses? Are we going to phase out hydrocarbon hydrocarbons uses globally? Are we going to replace it with renewables and other things? And so, and so will Alaska become economic before the hydrocarbon age goes away? That's the race. And I and I don't know the outcome of that race. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, having having, you know, reducing the amount of CO2 emissions by 2050. Uh, that's going to take a lot of hydrocarbon reduction. And are we going to, is there going to be a role for Alaska gas before then? Is there going to be a role after then? That's, that's the, that's the challenge that's going on. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for sustainable budgets. Final thoughts, Brad, here as we wrap up. Well, <laughs> let, let's go back to Scott Kendall. Scott Kendall said the quiet part out loud. Alaskans need to understand what he's saying. What he's saying is we can spend more for government, a lot more for government, as long as we can use PFD cuts to fund it because it's non-transparent and it only hits middle and lower income Alaska families. If we have to do it transparently through a tax and if we have to do it transparently through 
a broad-based a broad-based approach we're not going to be able to spend that much for government that is that is scott kendall that's a proponent of government spending speaking people who people on our side who say oh i can give up the pfd what you're doing when you say that is you are permitting enabling additional government spending and you need to take that to heart Brad, thank you so much. I appreciate it, my friend. It's good to talk with you. Thanks for Michael's coming on board. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, we got to go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio, Hour 2, Dead Ahead. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning. Welcome back to hour two of the big radio broadcast. We are jumping into it here and ready to have some discussions about, well... Oh, man, I just don't even know where, you know, I'm always so when we get done with with Brad and I'm always so uh, frustrated and by everything that's uh, by everything that's going on. And, and the fact that we keep seeming to fight or discuss the same battles over and over and over again. Right. I mean, that, that just we're, we're fighting the same things uh, repeatedly, continuously. Uh, and the question is, you know, we, and, and, and you know, Brad's right. He, you know, quoting me to myself when I was talking about this earlier, we can't grow weary in well-doing, but damn, sometimes aren't you just frustrated? Aren't you just tired? Aren't you just tired of the same kind of, you know, pushwa over and over and over again, hearing the same thing? I mean, I know I am. And then we get this new stuff. I mean, I want to go back to what Brad was talking about earlier uh, for just a moment. Uh, and I'll open up the phone lines and take your calls on this or anything that Brad said this morning. If you want to, uh, if you want to go, I'll go ahead and throw the phone lines open now, in fact, uh, for the first uh, couple segments of the show before we get into it with Chris. If you want to give us a call, feel free to do so at 907 433 3150. 907 433 3150. Um, but I want to talk for a second what, about what Brad was talking about, uh, the governor's new proposed tax breaks for companies. There's an article in the ADN by Iris Samuels that covers this from a couple days ago. Dunleavy proposes tax breaks for companies that spend money on worker housing and child care. Now, <clears throat> here's, the, here's the, the bottom line on this. 
The measure could eventually cost the state more than $260 million per year in revenue. Revenue that's that's gone away. Um, and this raises a bigger question for me, uh, first and foremost, because essentially what this becomes is this becomes a government subsidy. Although it's a tax cut for the corporations, and I'm all for you know lower taxes for everyone personally. But this essentially becomes a, uh, you know, we're supplementing and we're subsidizing the child care costs and the housing costs of more people through these tax cuts. And, uh, you know, Alaska is already a dependency state. We are already so dependent on so many things that, you know, for the government, for so many things that I, you know, wh- why would we add to this? And um, I, I, it's my mission to try and get Julie Colum on the program to talk about this because she has been an advocate. Um, she's been an advocate for uh, the, the child care um, uh, program, basically for state subsidized child care. And while I feel for people who are struggling along these lines, trying to find help, trying to find child care for their kids and everything else, I, you know, I, I've got questions about how much governmental interference is causing these prices to rise. I mean, there is a free market out there. And I'm going to go back to that quote that I said earlier uh, when I was talking with Brad. And for those of you who missed the discussion with Brad, you can go back and listen to it on the uh on the podcast uh, or back and watch the replay on Facebook or uh, if you prefer. Um, But the governor said in this article, he's quoted as saying the private sector is far more equipped to solve these challenges than the government. Yes, that is a hundred percent true. Then why don't we get government out of the way instead of again, essentially, um, inserting government even more into this by offering these tax credits and everything else to corporations who will pick up the pieces and and do all this this to me is not a is not an expression of the free market this is just another way for the government to for the for the government to 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 uh, uh you know basically fund these programs and create more dependency in the state. And that really, really bothers me. Um, They mentioned Julie Cullum's bill in the article, and uh, they mentioned a quote that says that measure gains support across the political spectrum, which, again, anytime I see that kind of phraseology, that bothers me as well. If you've got support across the political spectrum, I'm sure that I'm probably opposed to it for a variety of reasons. Because what we're seeing, uh, anytime we see something that is across the political spectrum, it usually means that it's more, bigger, badder government. And I'm, I'm just not a fan. I'm just not a fan of that. Anyway, um... It's concerning. It's concerning. Let's uh, let's go over to the phones. Uh, apparently, you guys want to talk to us this morning, so let's get things uh, ready to rock and roll. We'll go over here and start uh, chatting with you this morning. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning. This is Carlene in Kodiak. 
Good morning. Um, I've been calling you for years about this topic, but I didn't know how to clarify it about the corporate welfare. I thought it was health and human services, but um, it's the Canna versus the Kodiak Island Borough. They're going to go to a, they're at they're going to the appeals court now, and it's about the corporate welfare in the Kodiak Daily Mirror. The the Canna is Canna is claiming that need of sovereignty. They're claiming hospital status um, for housing and things for their people. And to me, my way of thinking, if they're going to claim that, then they should close the door to all the non-native people that go to the clinic because the other clinics have had to close up here. Canada has $9 million a year. I called it a surplus because that's what the judge called it. But it's excess. That's profit. After their careless, reckless, wasteful spending, they have $90 million in savings. They built a shopping mall here. They have a pull tab operation in Anchorage. And this is going, this is affecting the taxpayers in Kodiak, you know, the tax credits to the canneries. And Thank you, Michael. Okay. Thank you, Carlene. I appreciate it. It sounds like I need to get a little deeper into that issue there. I've not paid attention to what's going on there. It sounds like there's a multiplicity of issues, including one of my favorite pet peeves, which is not-for-profit hospitals who've got massive fund balances and are squeezing out the smaller competition through other things. It sounds like I need to get educated on what's going on down in Kodiak on that. Thank you, Carlene, for that uh, call. 907-433-3150. Let's go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hello, this is Mike. I'm calling from Fairbanks. Hello, Mike. What's in your mind? What's Uh, on your mind? So having having children is a choice. Children don't just magically happen. People choose to have them. They shouldn't make that choice if they can't afford the child. And that includes the child care costs or having a person stay in the home and raise the child. There shouldn't be any need to fund child care because people don't have to have children. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to disagree That's with you. Statement. Yeah, no, I'm not going to disagree with you, Mike. I mean, I agree that that is just you know kind of the cost of doing business, and I think more more people need to analyze their situation in that way and look at it. You know, if we have a child, does it make sense for both of us to continue to work? Uh, should one of us stay home? Uh, does that does that monetarily pencil out? You know, if we're if we're making less money, but we're in a lower tax bracket, but we don't have to pay child care costs. I mean, these are questions that I think everybody should be asking themselves as they go through. They should not be looking to government with their hands out saying, well, I just can't do it. So please, Uncle Sugar, come bail me out. That's right. Yeah. All right, Mike. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate your thoughts and your sentiment on this. Thanks for calling in this morning. Um, that okay. that that brings me to the question. Um, I mean, what as as listeners, what do you think? I mean, should there be subsidized childcare where the government is taking you know is taking a a a, a lick at it and giving you know giving out money? 
to people, whether it's in the form of these tax credits to corporations for providing it or, you know, monies to different, uh, you know, daycares for subsidies. Um, and then is it based on, you know, is it based on, uh, uh, you know, the income levels? So if you're making just enough that you could take care of your own child care, you don't get anything. I mean, is there an equitability issue there? Uh, or should the government just get out of the way and let people, you know, figure this out for the Here's the thing. I mean, you know, was this a problem 30 years ago? Was this a problem? Was child care a problem 30, 35 years ago, 40 years ago uh, with both people working and everything else? Or were they just, you know, going down and finding the local grandma in their neighborhood who was willing to watch or find the the retired person who was willing to watch or the, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Again, first of all, I have no perspective on this simply because. We, you know, my wife took care of our kids and and didn't work outside the home. And so we never had to deal with this. Uh, it's probably why we had five kids. I mean, if your average if your average cost of of uh, of child care was seven hundred and fifty dollars and you had five children, I mean, you've got to make a mint just to be able to pay for the child care for those kids. Or that maybe that's why we had so many kids, because we loved it. And we were, you know, I mean, it's a huge deal. Uh, for for a lot of folks, and I know that that's a component for some people, whether or not they can afford it. But should the government be taking part in that? In your opinion, is that something that the government should be doing? Um, should they be offering credits uh, to corporations for providing it, or should they be offering direct subsidies to childcare institutions and daycares? Um, or or does it just again? create more of that dependency mindset because i mean i think that's that's where we 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 are a dependency state on every level at this point not just in the social safety net of welfare but also as we pointed out earlier in the corporate welfare aspect where you've got companies that are dependent on the state to bail them out or for a big portion of their of their income every you know every year do we need to create more of that or less? I mean, I say less. Or do you say that this is justifiable spending in your mind? I'd love to hear what you have to say. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. We're going to continue. Phone lines are open. We'll be back with more. Don't go anywhere. Chris Story coming up at the end of the hour. And we'll see what he has to say. Back with more right after this. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay. Okay. Let me go. What's uh, going on here? Uh, imagine Mike ruling Alaska. Oh, you wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want that. Although I would be a benevolent dictator. Um, 
bipartisan usually means bigger than average fraud is about to be perpetrated. That's kind of my feeling. Anytime I see that it says wide bipartisan support, I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh, God, oh, Lord. Um, Terry says there's already state-funded child care. I hear ads on the radio daily. Um, Willie says Head Start is nothing but government child daycare. Yeah, I know. Um, and Chris says no child care money. I agree with a caller. It's a choice we made having, having kids. Yeah. Um, no, Tawny says no subsidized child care. Trust me. I feel for the people in this situation. We ended up with custody of our grandchild and I was shocked at the child care cost 15 years ago. However, we figured it out. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's it right there. Um, Jeannie says Washington subsidizes child care for theirs, those on welfare because the feds kick back some dough. Well, it's always that government lucre, right? It's always that sweet, sweet government lucre that's got the best taste, you know? And Harold says our kids, our grandkids visit all the time for free. Yes. I mean, exactly. Why are you not leveraging that kind of stuff? Um, all right, let me go over to the phones real quick to get the name of this caller. We got a caller on hold. We'll see who they are and we'll get them ready for the return to radio. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, Mike, this is Elena from Anchor Point. Okay, Elena, you hold on, my dear, uh, and we will be uh, Anchor Point. Um, I'll be right back to you. You'll be first up in the queue. You can give me your thoughts on whatever it is that you want to give me your thoughts on today, for sure. Uh, Jim says people say, want the government to subsidize their business so they can get their retirement and leave. I mean, I think just people want, we, we've almost, it's almost been conditioned. It's almost not like, you know, Jim, I don't know if it's like, I mean, when you say it that way, it almost makes me feel like they want to, you know, get their part and then, and then go on and do, <clears throat> Hey, look at that. It's Julie Colum, uh, on the, on the thing here. Um, I, don't know if I should answer it or not. I'm on the air. Uh, um, I'll just send her. I'll I'll send her. I'll send her a text. Um, I'm. I mean, I'm concerned about this. Uh, Julie, if Julie's listening, and maybe she's listening, and that's why she tried to call me. Um, Julie, please, uh, please call the number on the because I don't have everything set up. I don't have my phone set up on the thing. Although I probably should because. Chris is going to be calling in and, um, we gotta, we gotta do that. Right. All right. Let me, um, yeah. All right. Okay. So Julie, if you, you can call into the number here for, uh, the, 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 the phone line on the thing right there, four, three, three, 30, Um, where was I? Um, Oh, uh, with, uh, with Jim saying, you know, people want them to subsidize their businesses so they, so they can get their retirement leave. I don't even think it's that kind of selfish at this point. I think people have just been conditioned to look to the government for everything. It's not even really a factor of selfishness. It's just kind of like a monkey see monkey do kind of thing. Uh, representative Kronk says when our representatives claim that they want to, or this is Mark Kronk. I'm sorry, not Mike Kronk. I apologize. Mike, Mark Crook. Good Lord. Sorry, Mark. 
I don't know why I saw Kronk. When our representatives claim that they want to find a way to keep residents here and draw others to Alaska, I think paying a full PFD is a huge factor. Getting a small benefit here or there or some credits does not beat out a nice check every year. The check is something a person can see and it sticks out. Truth. I mean, I agree with that. Truth. Um, but, you know, what we need is we need a government that's as minimal as possible to keep us, you know, rolling in the right direction. All right. Um, <clears throat> we're 10 seconds out. Let's get to it. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's do this thing. Here we go. Okay, uh, we're continuing ahead here. Chris Story is going to be joining us in a few moments, but uh, before we get there, we're going to continue on with our phone calls. We've been talking about some of the issues with governmental, I mean, I guess, you know, welfare, taking care of everybody, taking care of everything, right? Elena is down in Anchor Point. She's called in this morning and wanted to sound off, so let's uh, start off over there and See what she has to say this morning. Good morning, Elena. What's uh, what's on your mind? Hey, Mike. Um, I used to work daycare for almost 14 years in the state of South Dakota. And I had a lot of single moms that tried everything they possibly could to work but they still needed that one step. No matter what problems they had, they were trying. But a lot of them were caught in a rock in a hard place because they may just maybe a little too much for, you know, getting assistance with the state to help pay for the child care. And, or they no matter what they did, they couldn't, uh, what am I trying to say? They couldn't do what they needed to do to work and take care of their kids. Right. But they found a way. I mean, it seemed like they couldn't find a way, but they did. And as far as daycares, what I tried offering is if they had, you know, whether it was a single mom, parents, whoever, any of my clients, I had multiple child discounts. Because when I was looking for daycare, when I thought I was having one kid and I ended up having twins, they charged me more for more kids. So I had, you know, multiple child discounts. I had military discounts. And I had different price ranges that worked for them. Right. You know, and if they, you know, wanted to do hourly, if they wanted to do contract for, you know, 20 hours or 30 hours or 40 hours, you know, if they were signed up for 20 hours, but they accidentally went over one week for 30 hours, they paid for that one week, and then they dropped back down to where they were. I don't know if that's something that daycare owners around here can do, but bringing anything and any idea to the table certainly has to help. Right. Let me I ask. I think, in my opinion. 
let me let me ask you a question, Elena. I mean, how much do you think? I mean, have you're in a business for fourteen years? This is South Dakota, obviously not Alaska, but how much do you think your regulatory compliance costs you as a caregiver um, in the state of uh, you know in the state of South Dakota? Complying with all the regulation, not just doing it out of your home because you want to help out and you like to earn a little extra money, but because you're doing it. Under the in, under the aegis of the state, you know, you're doing all this stuff. How much do you think your regulatory compliance costs between, you know, insurances, inspections, licenses, you know, the, the, all the bureaucracy and the bells and whistles? Any idea what that cost you? Well, actually, Mike, for the state of South Dakota to run a daycare, and this is where it gets hairy, you do not have to be a licensed daycare provider in the state of South Dakota. If you wanted subsidies to help with food or if there were families that you had, you know, that you were helping to take care of and they needed help from the government, meaning they needed, you know, they applied like, you know, let's say food stamps, for example, um, and they met the quota to where the state could pay for their child care, then in order for you to take care of that child, yes, I had to be state subsidized. I had to be state licensed. But um, I ran my business, I ran the daycare like I was licensed. I limited my number of kids. I, you know, whether it was daycare kids or under the age of, a, you know, five, you know, you can only have so many. So I can't give an honest answer of what that license, licensing cost. A friend of mine who had the only daycare in the town where I was working for years, and I initially... Was, she was one of the ones that I was initially looking at when I was having my kids. Um, you know, she was very cost-effective, and it didn't cost her a whole lot. It just, I, I can't give you a number, but she was able to do it for 20-plus years, and she is still in the business of child care. She brought her kids up into it like I did mine, and her kids, you know, now are having kids of their own. Right. As far as cost-wise, I'm sorry, I can't give you an answer. No, that's. <clears throat> I'm just curious because, again, you know, part of the problem that I see is that <clears throat> as we got more and more intervention by government over the last, you know, two or three decades, you know, I could see those costs going up, whereas, you know, before it would be grandma would watch the kids or, you know, the neighbor down the street was retired and watched the kids. Yeah. And, you know, it was a few bucks, a, you know, you'd throw them a few bucks, you'd provide the food and throw them a few bucks a week or whatever. Um, I just, <clears throat> the more we started looking to government to try and manage, manage and mandate these things, you know, that's when the costs start going up. And when you start talking about, I mean, at one point, this is, I don't know how many years ago, but I mean, at one point I asked somebody how much, $700 a month for your kids for childcare. And I'm like, how how does anybody afford that at that point? How does yeah. it, how does anybody afford to go do that if you've got it, you, you know can. one or two kids? Yeah, it's um and and so it starts to ask the, again. It starts to beg the question: Does it make sense for both parents to work? Does it make sense that you don't try and find some kind of alternative solution? Um, but I just don't think that government funding is the answer for this stuff. I really don't. We've got to find. We've got to find some no. kind of private sector solution for it. it. Exactly. Government is not the answer because everybody wants their hand in the pot. Everybody wants to, okay, 
you know, I'll just take a dollar here. I'll just take a dollar there. It's not much. The only thing for my cost that I had is because I wanted to keep my daycare name. So I registered the daycare name with the state, and that was $35 for, what, five, ten years, however much it cost me. You know, but again, um, all of that stuff can yeah. be a write-off, right. but you have to initially cover the cost. And it's just like what I've heard you say before, you know, you get hair beauticians who've been working in wherever state they, you know, came from for years. They know how to do it. They've been licensed for years, but yet they have to come and take a test. No, that there has to be some kind of a cutback. There has to be for government and representatives, for those of you who are listening, you guys have to come up with something in order for the common day person to be able to afford to live. Yeah. No. My best friend in high school, when she got married and after college, she was out of a job. They became, you know, they got pregnant. They weren't sure how they were going to do it. So kind of out of a, okay, well, we have no other choice. They were a one-income household, and they made it work. Yeah, no. The sacrifice, I'm, like yeah. you talked about, has to be made, and it's a hard sacrifice. I mean, it is sometimes, sometimes it's not, especially if you, I mean, if people were honest with themselves and did yeah. the math between two income households, a lot of times one of you is making, you know, more money than the other. So just start doing the math. If one of you stayed home, man or woman, I don't care. Let's not get into that. But if one of you stayed home, what would your tax burden yeah. be then? What would your expenses be? What would your car, you know, what would the thing, you know, look at all the expenses on that and see, and then add childcare to it and say, would you make more money or or keep more of your money by staying home, one of you staying home than the other one? And I think in a lot of cases, that's probably the case, that if one of you stayed home, it would make more sense. Now, that's not popular in today's society. You know, you you're looked down on. I mean, I've had my wife has been oh, no, my wife has been criticized by other women said, "Oh, you've stayed home and I just couldn't do that. Why would you waste your life taking care to which my wife immediately slaps back about my children were the most important thing in the world. That was the most important job I could have." But that's just part of the, you know, that's part of the outlook it seems like it today. Is. Exactly. It is the greatest responsibility and the greatest honor that moms have and dad to be able to stay home and take care of their child. Now, I ended up starting that daycare at a necessity. I had twins. I knew where the job that I had was not going to be bringing in the money. In fact, I was going to be losing money, especially when your kids get sick, especially when, you know, you have to take off to go to the doctor because the doctors are not open when you get off work. I was going to be losing money. My ex-husband, my husband at the time, couldn't see it that way. He didn't understand. Right. So, yeah, for a long time, we were a single-income child, you know, a single-income household. And with twin boys, it it bit. It was hard. But (laughs) eventually it worked out, and I started gaining more and more clients. It just... Right. It takes time. It takes time and, to build it up. That's for sure. You know, good on you for those who can do it. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, Elena, thank you so much for your call. I appreciate you calling in this morning and being part of it. Um, let's go over to this last call, I think, before we go to break here with Chris Story. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? This is Julie Colomb. How are you? Well, hello there. How are you? 
I'm doing well. Sounds like you guys are talking about child care. Yeah. And, so well, I thought I'd call in. Yeah, well, I wanted to, and I don't have a lot of time. I've only got about four minutes here. I was going to try to reach out and see if you wanted to come on the program and discuss it at length, because this is a deep subject, and I definitely would like to get into it. If you have time tomorrow morning um, um, in the first hour, I would love to talk with you about it. Uh, if you have time tomorrow, uh, yeah, sure. because I would love to dissect this in detail. Um, so if you've got time at like, yeah, six, I, I can do that. Mark. Yeah. Six, 10, maybe tomorrow morning. I, I've got the, um, at six, 10. Yeah, I can do that. The, um, HB 89, the bill that you're referring to is actually going to be on the floor tomorrow. So it'd probably oh. be good for me to good talk about it with yeah. your audience, uh, before the vote. Yeah, no, and because you know, like I said, I've got concerns, and and I'm 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 a little bit worried about kind of the 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 direction that that takes, and uh, I want to get your take on it for sure. So if you want to, I can send you a text or an email in the morning, and we can uh, we can link up, and uh, we'll have you on at six ten, and we'll keep you for the full hour, and we can discuss it. Um, without the the clock being our slave here at this point, so. Okay. That sounds good. All right. Thank you, Julie. I appreciate it. I will uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. We look forward to seeing what you uh, what you have to tell us uh, in the morning. OK, so we're going to do that. Um, somebody just said, Mike, back in 2002. So that's 20 years ago when my second daughter was born. The cost of someone watching her for three months from three months until 18 months was eight hundred dollars. Uh, once they were on their own and could do things on their own, it dropped to 550. I was lucky. Dang. I mean, he said he did have friends. So he paid a woman to watch that. He trusted to watch his daughter for $450 a month. That's 20 years ago. Um, it's just, I, how do you, how do you afford it? How do you afford it? If it's. You know, if you got two kids and it's, you know, 800 bucks a month or if I, you know, you start talking about $15,000 a year for childcare, you got to start asking yourselves, how much money do you have to make to offset that cost? That's the big question. Um, anyway, uh, thank you, Damien, for your comment uh, in the chat room on that. All right. We're coming up uh, on the break. We got to go. We're going to uh, continue in just a moment. And... We're going to see what Chris Story has to say. We're going to jump in with him for the weekly positivity report. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. Suppository. The Michael Duke Show. All right, we're in the break. We're going to call Chris Story here in just a hot second. Uh, McCabe is in the chat room. Kevin McCabe, Rep McCabe, said 1979 child care was three quarters of my wife's paycheck, and that was at a military child care facility. <laughs> 
Damien said, I made 40000 a year and my wife made $70,000 a year as a teacher. Damien may have been a house dad if that was the case. If he had to stay home, he would have been a house dad for that. But, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, oof, man, that uh, that's some crazy stuff. Um, let's, uh, let me go over here and, uh, get story, get story dialed up on the line. How about that? We'll see if we can get him rocking and rolling. All right. Good morning, Michael. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm on top of the world, Michael. It's almost daylight here at 7:40. I know. I was, I was, I was talking the other day. I was like, man, I'm getting all messed up by this, uh, Getting all messed up by this daylight. Uh, I told my wife, I said, it's mm-hmm. 5.30 at night and it's still light out. I was, that's kind of weird, but. Uh, uh, What's weirder is that you and I are both lifelong Alaskans and we're still surprised by it. I know, I know. Like, oh, well, daylight. I got to tell you, it was such a change. I mean, you would think that a, a move just 300 miles south would not be that big a deal, but. Man, the amount of daylight that they get down here versus what they get in Fairbanks, the difference is pretty crazy uh did you watch true detective with um did jody not. foster's true did detective? not okay okay did you it takes yeah it takes place up i don't know where it's supposed to where somewhere up above the arctic circle essentially and it's you know the it's like day 14 of darkness and it's just a perpetual darkness it's exaggerated of course for the show but it is uh, a wonder that anybody can live that way no, it's it is kind of crazy. I mean, uh, you know, m- my wife definitely uh, noticed a change once she moved down here. I mean, in Fairbanks in December, there is. I mean, you're. It's basically two hours of daylight in the middle of the day, and then twilight for an hour on each side. Essentially, you're getting four hours <laughs> right. of actual light. You know, the sun yeah. comes up at ten o'clock and it goes down at two p.m. two two thirty. It's dark, and you're like, okay, that's just depressing. You know, so. Anyway, um, all right. Uh, what's our what's our topic today, fine sir? The seeds of failure. The seeds of I have them right here in my pocket. The seeds of failure. <laughs> hey, uh, Johnny Crappleseed. I'm gonna go. That's right, Johnny Crappleseed. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go plant these everywhere. I mean, they got a bumper crop in Washington D.C. So I mean, I don't know why. Where else we yeah. need to plant yeah, them at this point? You know, absolutely. Oh, that's good. Um, hey, great picture. Didn't know you had Kevin Spacey on. I didn't, I don't think you've ever been compared to Kevin Spacey, but you know, there you go. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, hold the line, Chris. I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to be right back to you. Let me go back over here. See what you guys have uh, been saying. Uh, Debbie says, my husband never asked me to work outside the home. We were in the military when our kids were young. We scraped by and did without lifestyle choices. We did not have things. I would not change anything. And I, to which I would agree. I mean, we struggled, man. We struggled. Five kids on a single income. There were times when we struggled. We didn't have the snow machines and the four-wheelers and the the fancy cars and everything else. In fact, at first, you, I was 50-something years old before I bought my first brand-new car. Um, everything else was used, gently loved, whatever. We limped it through. We did what we need to do. Um, yeah, it, it, you, you, you do what you have to do. You do what you have to do. Um, and, uh, I, I like that. Brian says in retrospect, I would like to have been more of a house dad. I probably would have sucked at it, but you know, and, uh, yeah, it was a thing. And yes, it was a mini Cooper. First car, first new car I bought was a mini Cooper. 
um, which is, the, I love that car, man. That is a, that is a hell of a ride. Hell of a ride. Um, <clears throat> okay. Um, I think that's caught us up on everything here. Um, and it, maybe we should bring Chris on to talk about childcare. Chris, did you, uh, did you guys ever have to worry about childcare when you had your kids growing up? Were you taking care of them at home? What were you doing? Uh, both. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Tiff and I both, uh, when our first daughter, our oldest daughter was young, uh, she was in childcare because Tiffany had a job. She was a school bus driver. So there was, uh, in the afternoons, she would go to childcare, which was very expensive, even the nineties. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like I said, I, I can't remember what the year was when we, when we, I, cause I, I got on a jag about this at one point, uh, when I was still in Fairbanks and only on the air in Fairbanks. And I remember I started asking around and people were like, yeah, it's $750 per kid per month. And I'm like, holy crap, how can you, how can you afford to have kids at that point? I mean, you know, how do you, if you've got two or three kids, I mean, it's twenty twenty thousand dollars a year in childcare. How are you even making that? I mean, it just it it boggles my mind. It boggles my mind for sure. Um, all right, uh, Chris Story, the seeds of failure. That's what we're uh, that's what we're doing. We're going to continue here. We're fifteen seconds out. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell, do all this stuff. Okay, let's get to it. Here we go. All right, we are ready. We are ready to do it. It's our weekly positivity out update. It's our 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 PSA. No, it's not. It is a public service, actually. But I mean, this is our PMA update uh, with Chris Story, the man from Homer, the guru of positivity. Uh, hello, my friend. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Michael. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, as always, as always, I love it. It's been 10 years of you and me doing this kind of stuff, and I, I got to say, it's still the highlight of my week. I still love doing it. So I appreciate I'm still threatening to put together a, uh, a book called Tuesdays with Michael, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I'm exactly. the framework for it now. You'll find it at the horror section of Barnes & Noble. Um, all right, uh, Let's 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 get started on your topic for today, which you have stated is the seeds of failure, which also sounds like a good book. Um, so uh, what what, uh, what what's on your mind today, Story? Imagine you're walking through your garden in your backyard and you've got a satchel of seeds. Michael, I know you've got a satchel. You probably call it a man purse or a merse, but it's a satchel. It is. And you've got seeds in there. You're planting your garden. And you've mixed in, you've decided just for no reason, I'm going to mix in some hemlock seeds amongst the vegetables and just going to spread them both in the garden. You're going to plant some seeds of poison and, and seeds of actual food. You'd never do that. You would never accidentally put poisonous seeds in with your actual garden seeds or vegetable seeds. You just wouldn't do it. And I guess I'm saying, why would you do that in your mind, in the garden of your mind? Why would you allow for poison seeds to take hold? Sometimes it's not our fault or doing. And I'll give you an example. 
by the Guinness Book of World Records, according to the book, at least in the in the mid to late seventies, Joe Girard was considered to be the greatest salesman in the world, meaning he sold more cars per day per year than any other salesperson to that point. And I think even on into the nineties, I don't think anybody broke his record. And if you read his biography, Joe Girard will tell you his father hated him. His father would literally in Detroit take him to the basement, tie him to a, a post, and beat him with a strop again and again, screaming at him the entire time, you're nothing, you're horrible, you're going to end up in jail, you're no good, I should have choked you when you were a baby, I should have killed you when you were a baby. So he grew up with these poisonous seeds in his mind, and yet, at age 35, he turned his life around and became a the greatest salesman in the world and then would write books and lecture and he was on the tonight show and he was all over the all over the country in the in the late 70s and 80s as this great salesman who everybody loved even though his garden the garden of his mind was so toxic based on what he grew up with and he grew up with prejudice and bigotry towards him in detroit there was a sicilian part of town and they were called everything from dagos and wops and greasers and he got into street fights and was discriminated against and so the world was putting poison seeds in his mind but most importantly it was his father who of all four kids he was the only one that got these beatings he reserved all of his hatred for that one kid emerson probably one of our greatest thinkers said thoughts rule the world and i would change that to thoughts rule your world and if you allow seeds of failure to grow you're going to get a bumper crop of crap in your life and it's not always your fault some things come at you right. again racism and bigotry and and all of the things that go along with with that kind of discrimination for whatever race you are or background you came from or even your family and how they treated you it's our job to weed the mind our own mind the garden of our mind we have to be vigilant and weed out the poison and the failure thoughts are things Right. I mean, thoughts yeah. are things. Mm -hmm. They have an effect on us. Um, and it's something that I worked with uh, with my kids a lot. You know, if I heard them say something that was, oh, I'm not very good at that or I, you know, I, I suck at this or, you know, and it's it's like you're, you're constantly look, you, your self-talk is important. Your self-talk, your programming, those thoughts affect you in the long run. And you're like, you're right. Sometimes they're outside things. You have no control over them. But other times there are things that you are allowing to self-sabotage yourself and uh, you need to, you know, you need to grab control. You need to grab those reins and take control of your life. And that's one of the people, you know, we talk about what's the, what, what are the basic baby steps. To me, that's always the first one. Listen to your internal dialogue. And if your internal dialogue is nothing but doom and gloom, that might be the first step that you need to take to fixing what's going on in your life. And maybe even go, going backwards just a little bit, enough to identify where did this come from? If I've got this failure complex or I've got this inferiority or insecurity or just not as confident in myself or, or my, my goals or maybe I don't even deserve something, go backwards. Where did that start? You don't have to spend, you know, thousands of dollars and years on the couch in therapy and do that if you wanted to. But I don't think it's necessary to just go back in your mind just a little while and go, where did that really start? Did something happen? Did something occur? Is there a, was there a pivot point or somehow I accepted somebody else's story and allowed that to become my own story? And I give this um, presentation sometimes and I like to open with 
how do you get a thousand people to voluntarily and simultaneously commit suicide? And you kind of, it's a little shocking to hear that. And you go, wait a minute, Jim Jones did it. How did Jim Jones get a thousand people, not just to take the poison themselves, but to give it to their children all the while he's on the PA system saying, hurry, hurry, take it, drink it, and make sure your kids drink it and allow them to go through that because their story was his story. He planted a story in their mind that they believed and adopted. And so he wiped their mind clean of anything before and he implanted a story. We have to do the same thing for ourselves and to ourselves for the betterment of ourselves and our family and a legacy going forward. Even if we're wiping the slate clean for things that were planted, these hemlock seeds of poison by somebody else, it's up to you to to weed out your own garden and ensure that you're living your story, that you're living on purpose and you are doing things that are gonna be beneficial for you and not detrimental. And so much, like I, I, you mentioned horror section, there are some things I just cannot watch because, I, and I say to myself, I don't want that in my mind. There's some things I just have to screen out or people's voices. I like to listen to a wide spectrum of news because I wanna know what's happening. I wanna hear other opinions, but if I spend too much time on any one of those networks, it starts planting these seeds of anger and rage. Don't stop. What can I do about it? I'll give you a quick example. Uh, a, a guy that I consider a friend, his name is Tom Kazaya, and he's a, a journalist, and he's been a journalist for a long time. And he's been very friendly to me as a reporter, and I think fair. And he just wrote an incredibly mean piece about Sarah Vance, who's coincidentally a friend of mine as well. And I thought, man, why? And I was really just sort of getting outraged. And then I thought, wait a minute, why would I be so? And I just, I wiped that, got rid of the anger. I went to Tom directly, said, Tom, I'd love the time interviewing Sarah about this piece you wrote. I'd like to interview you. And he said, no, thank you. Um, it's an opinion piece. I don't really want to get into that. So he's, he's, you know, but I felt great just in talking with him. Suddenly the seeds of anger that were growing over the weekend vanished. And so that's how I start to deal with it. We're like, what can I do about it? It's like you talk about, you've all but given up on trying to affect the swamp in DC. Right. You focused on the swamp in Juneau, closer to home, and or the Matthew Borough and the municipality of Anchorage, where you can have an impact. And I think it's just controlling those seeds of either doubt, anger, fear, or failure. It's up to you. And why would you plant seeds of failure in your own mind? Pluck them out, get rid of them. And again, we can find these by simply taking a moment and paying attention to what's going on in our inner dialogue as we're going throughout the day, right? I mean, we should be listening yeah. to this. And then do you recommend, I mean, do you use self-talk? Do you use, um, do you, you know, do you immediately grab that that thought by the throat and throw it out? Do you overwhelm it with uh, with verbalization? What, what do you, what do you recommend? That's a great question. And yes, to all of it. So here's what I do. Just as me personally, you can take it or leave it and throw this right back at me if you don't like it and just discard it. But what I do is I'll catch myself. A lot of times I'll start to become frustrated with different things or different elements of life or something going on. I go, wait a minute. I can't be frustrated with all of these people and have it be them. It's not them. It's me. What am I doing? What, what am I, where am I at? And so every time I find myself in, in some sort of a state, a mental state that I'm not happy about, I go back to a mantra that I've got and mantras may not be for you, but here's mine. 
uh, my purpose, my definite chief aim in life is to serve and influence, inspire, motivate, entertain, and be a positive force in as many people's lives as possible, one at a time. And so my point in saying all that is, I go, wait a minute, is there something I can do about this or with it that fits that narrative? Can I inspire somebody? Can I motivate somebody? Can I be of a positive influence in this time? Even though I'm frustrated with my friend Tom's article, I'm like, this is crazy. Okay, wait a minute. What can I do with it that fits my mantra, my narrative, my purpose for myself? Well, that is to find some way to inspire other people and or motivate or just be a positive force in somebody's life through this rather than have it affect me. That's a long way of saying, yeah, find a mantra that works for you or have some self-talk and just catch yourself in those moments and try to right the ship quickly before you take on too much water. Yeah. I mean, I find myself because I mean, even I mean, I struggle with it. I mean, I, sometimes it'll be like I'm stressed about something and I keep, you know, negative thinking about it. The outcome is going to be, oh, it's going to be bad. Oh, it's going to be bad. Oh, it's going to be bad. And then I'm like, no, I got to start thinking about how can I fix it? How can I be positive? Mm-hmm. Things are going to work out. You know, money flows to me like water, whatever the thing is that you are the mantra. And I use those things and they they help. I mean, they really, they really do help. And it seems like I said, I told my daughter and I've talked about this before, looking yourself in the mirror and saying those things feels foolish to begin with, but pretty soon you realize how much it's helping you program your brain to eliminate that negative stuff and focus back on what you remember quickly. Chris story, final thoughts. Just seek first to understand, ask this question. What else could this mean? Is there something else at play here? And what can you do about it or with it? And don't ever forget journaling and getting some of these things out of your mind that on paper can make all the all the difference in the world. Right. You need to expunge it. And to expunge it, you need to you need to excrete it onto paper, right? That's that's what happens sometimes. Uh, all right. <laughs> I said excrete. Chris Story, thank you, my friend. It's good to talk with you. Don't go anywhere, folks. Great way to end it. Hold the line for a second. Uh, folks, we're out of time. We'll see you tomorrow. Julie Colomb and Mike Shower. Uh, all right, Chris, I'm sorry. Final thoughts on the excrete. We'll just go ahead and you can leave it on that, but uh, give me your final thoughts. Yeah, ex- excrement. What a, what a great way to cap the, the segment. Now, I just, I love the image. I like imagery. I like to think about situations with a picture in my mind, and I picture... You sort of Johnny Appleseed walking down, oh, here's an apple tree, here's a hemlock, here's an apple. No, you would never put poison in your own garden. You would do everything to keep it out. You you keep vermin out, you keep rodents out. You do, like when I was a kid, one of the grossest things in the world, but I'll never forget it, is having these little, burying these coffee cans at ground level and having some water in the bottom and mice were, or voles would fall in and drown. It's terrible, but you got to keep them from eating your vegetables and you have to keep the poison out of your own garden. Yep. And if your mind is a garden, and, and I think it is, well, it's up to you to tend it. If right. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. We have to do it for ourselves. And, and if Joe Girard can overcome that kind of a childhood, I mean, we all think once in a while, like, oh, man, remember one time I got to spank it for no good reason. Like, please, he was tied, not just in the basement. He was tied to a pole and beat mercilessly by his father, who was supposed to biblically and otherwise protect him and and cherish him as a child. And he said to him in those words, I should have choked you out while you were a baby. And he could still overcome that. Now that, if he can start from there and become the world's greatest salesman and earn 
arguably a fortune in the 1970s. He was earning three to $400,000 a year selling cars one at a time. If he can overcome all of that and become a financial success, a family success, an, an author and a speaker and somebody that's looked up and revered, we, what, where can we go? Yeah, no, exactly. You shouldn't be planting seeds. I mean, do you want to play Wheel of Fortune or do you want to play Wheel of Misfortune, right? I mean, I'd rather I'd rather play Wheel of Fortune. That's just all I'm saying right now. No sense in, in planting those landmines for yourself out there. Stop, pluck them up, start planting good stuff in their brain and uh, get it done. All right. I'll take optimism for a thousand. I'll take oh, yeah, wrong game. Yeah, wrong game. Can I take optimism for four thousand, Alex? Exactly. That's that's where <laughs> I'm going. That's right. All right, uh, Chris. Thank you, my friend. As always, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being part of it today. Thank you, Michael. All right, folks. We are done for today. Tomorrow, Julie Colom and Mike Shower. We'll be talking about childcare. We'll be talking about education, and I'm sure many, many other things. That's all coming up tomorrow. Don't forget to like and share this show. Don't forget to go out and like the Facebook page to get notifications when we go live. And uh, we will see you tomorrow. Have a great day. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show